Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Buried in your bones, there's an ache that you can't ignore. Taking your breath, stealing your mind, and all that was real is left behind. Don't fight it, it's coming for you, running at you. It's this moment, don't care what comes after. You'll feel a dream, can't you see? Getting closer. Just surrender, cause you feel the feeling taking over. It's fire, it's freedom, it's falling open. It's a picture in the puppet and your blind devotion. There's something everybody great to see you guys hey welcome to liquid my name is sam one of the pastors here especially if you're a new guest or visitor welcome to our summer series at the movies uh do we have movie lovers with us today anybody enjoy i do i'm a big one uh it's no secret i am a major movie buff in fact uh, in college i majored in english but my minor was in film studies and so i uh, spent part of my senior year working in the uh, screenwriting department of a Hollywood studio in Burbank, California. Uh, it was a great experience. It's probably where God first planted the seeds of kind of the passion we have at Liquid today for video and storytelling. But uh, movies are a passion for me. And one of the reasons is because Jesus often taught in parables. You guys know what a parable is? It's a short story that contains a powerful spiritual truth. And I just love how movies can really communicate those deeper spiritual truths in a cinematic way. You know, there's something about seeing like a story unfold before your eyes on the big screen that really makes it come to life. And that's what this series at the movies is all about. Here's what we're going to do. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at five current Hollywood hits and then explore the biblical truths found in each film. And today is the kickoff with The Greatest Showman. Wonderful movie with so many gospel illustrations. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want to give you like a little preview of the coming attractions. Don't you always love that? I want, I want to tell you what movies we're going to look at so you know when to invite your family and friends. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to watch clips from The Darkest Hour uh, with Gary Oldham. That is a film about Winston Churchill, uh, the British Prime Minister, and his uh, heroic leadership in World War II. Um, you know, as history buffs know, Churchill faced down Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime when they were threatening to overtake Europe, gave that rousing, you know, never surrender kind of speech. And if it wasn't for Churchill's um, courage and his heart of steel, uh, World War II would have turned out very, very different. So next week is a message about moral leadership in a time of terror. So very relevant for our culture. Uh, week three, a little bit lighter. We're doing Incredibles 2. Pastor Nithin's going to unpack this family-friendly movie, which it's now actually the highest grossing animated film in history. Did you know that? It's taken in $504 million in a month. Uh, very popular. So invite your friends, bring the kids. Week four is a Christian film called I Can Only Imagine. Uh, it's based on the real-life story of a man who wrote that song we used to sing uh, in church. It's really an emotional drama about the power of forgiveness and redemption. So let me give you like a little hint here. It, try and watch the movie before you come to church on Sunday. Like if you can rent the movie or watch it during the week, because what will happen is on Sunday, it will make the biblical connections even deeper. Uh, week five, we culminate with, of course, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, any fans of Black Panther here? Okay, I'm a Black Panther guy. Uh, 
Thor, Captain America. We're bringing the Marvel Universe to life at Liquid, and rumor has it, one of our pastors is going to preach in a Black Panther suit. <laughs> Nithin. So, this is a pretty diverse lineup, okay? You got drama, you got romance, history, adventure, and uh, we do this series. You understand why we do this? It is so that you can invite your neighbor who lives in the apartment across from you or the person you go to the gym with or your barista. It's just such an easy invite. And we have dozens of families in our church who are like, I first came because they were like doing this movie thing. Someone invited me. I just kept coming because uh, it made a lot of sense. And so we hope that you'll invite the movie lover in your life this August. Now, oh, and also, of course, I almost forgot. Did you get your popcorn? It is no longer a sin to eat popcorn in church, people. Pop open your bag. You're going to get to munch on popcorn during this series. Uh, we gave it to you on the way in. In fact, we're going to hand out Cokes later and have communion. So, no, just kidding. That would be a little bit much, okay? We, got a little, um, we just like to have a little fun in the church, kick things off. But today, we're going to kick off at the movies 2018 with, it's what my family's favorite film of the year, The Greatest Showman. Make noise if you've seen the movie, okay? <laughs> Wow. Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. All right, awesome. Um, it's fabulous. I've watched it four or five times. We actually uh, bought the movie on iTunes. Um, the Greatest Showman is about the real life of P.T. Barnum, who is the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus. Now, show of hands, how many of you went to the circus as a child? Okay. Wow, look at that. That's, it's an ocean of hands. Amazing. Okay. I remember my parents taking me to Madison Square Garden for Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. And uh, I, I remember being mesmerized as a kid, right? Men and women flying through the air on the trapeze, taming tigers, riding elephants, you know, cars, you know, full of little clowns and stuff, and ringmasters breathing fire and swallowing swords. I was entranced as a kid by the circus because when I looked at it, it was like, it's this amazing spectacle and menagerie of all these unusual people with strange looks and talents so I want you to sit back, relax, enjoy your popcorn. Let's watch the movie trailer for The Greatest Showman, and then we'll come back and see what Scripture has to say about God's own family of misfits. Can I have your attention? You're all dismissed. Bankrupt. Better luck with your next job. I am not a stranger to the dark. This is not the life I promised you. Not even close. Because we don't want your broken parts. Girls, I think I've had an idea. Look out, because here I come. P.T. Barnum, at your service. I'm putting together a show. And I need a star. Every one of us is special. And nobody is like anyone else. That's the point of my show. Ready? Showtime.
never made a difference by being like everyone else. I can't just run off and join the circus. Why not? I mean, you clearly have a flair for show business. For show business? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. Because I just invented it. I mean, isn't that a fun world, right? Like, who doesn't want to be part of that? I remember uh, as a kid when my parents took me to church on Sunday, and just honestly, it was like so boring. And, you know, everyone's like dressed in like suits and, and all that. And I was, you know, I'm like 15 years old. I'm like, I don't fit here. I remember saying to myself, you know what? Someday, when I'm old enough, I'm going to run away and join the circus. Have you ever thought that, right? I'm going to run away and join the circus. The idea is just that there was this group of people out there whose job it was to laugh and have fun. And no matter how weird you were or how much you didn't fit in, they would always accept you. I mean, even if your family and your friends didn't accept or understand you, your circus family would. And that's really what P.T. Barnum created. He created a family of misfits, of outcasts, people who were rejected and kind of marginalized by mainstream society. But P.T. Barnum said, no, 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 I, I see something special in you. I see something unique that the whole world needs to see. And so he created this circus of real-life misfits. In fact, let me show you. This is the real-life P.T. Barnum. He actually was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1810. So he's from the East Coast. And at the center of his show was a guy named uh, Tom Thumb. Well, that was his stage name. His real name was Charles Stratton. He was a dwarf. And he became famous as the central performer in Barnum's Circus um, as a little person. Uh, Stratton actually was a very talented singer, actor, and performer who changed the public perception of circus people from freaks of nature to actually mainstream entertainers. Uh, Barnum recruited the bearded lady, uh, a woman named Annie Jordan from Virginia, who suffered from a, a genetic condition, a follicular kind of medical condition, that covered her face with hair and, and, and a beard, and she traveled the country. She became known as America's you know, famous bearded lady in Barnum Circus. She was invited to, to visit Queen Victoria. Uh, he also found the Siamese twins. Uh, these were real-life twins named Chang and Eng Bunker, who were born in Thailand, and they were brothers, okay? They were born with their, their bodies fused together, and so they called them Siamese twins. Interesting little detail. Um, they actually married two sisters, and fathered 21 children between them. Now think about that for a minute, okay? That's, don't think too much about it. That's awkward. All right, move on, move on. Now, right? Okay, whoa. Now, here's the deal. Each of these people, obviously, they had a rare medical condition that was not understood in their time that led to their unique appearance. And while most people in the 1800s just kind of shunned them and said, oh, freaks of nature, P.T. Barnum embraced them. Now, Understand, he wanted to make a buck, okay, for the greatest show on earth. And today, we would rightly raise a moral question about the ethics of platforming people with a physical abnormality for profit, right? We'd have concerns about exploitation. But in Barnum's day, it was different. See, prior to joining his circus family, these people were social outcasts. They didn't even go out in public. They were scorned, rejected by mainstream society. In fact, if they ventured out in the street, mothers would, you know, gather their kids and be like, hurry up, get to the other side of the street. They're monsters. They were avoided. They were ostracized. They were seen as freaks, misfits, people no, no respectful person would associate with, which actually was very similar to the culture of the first century in which Jesus Christ ministered. If you read the Gospels, you will quickly notice in Bible times, anybody with a physical abnormality 
or a disability or a disease was shunned, was, was, was treated as if they were subhuman. In fact, they were the opposite of blessed by God. It was thought, if this happened to you, it's because you were being cursed by God. It was certainly somebody you'd never let into a proper church. And there was good reason for that. It wasn't just social bias. It was the law. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, there was a law in the books in the book of Leviticus. Here's what it said. Leviticus 21 reads this. Who can go to church? No one who has a defect qualifies. Whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed, or has a broken foot or arm, so if you have a cast, like you can't come into church, or is hunchbacked or, or dwarfed, or has a defective eye. If you wear glasses, get out, get out of church. <laughs> Skin sores or scabs or damaged testicles. I don't, it's in the Bible. I don't know what to do with this, people. I'm just like, I'm like what's the application? You know, I don't know. <laughs> playing soccer on Saturday, you get kicked in the tenders. You can't go to church, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's just like a... But this, is a, this was an Old Testament purity law that restricted anybody who was different in some way. They were not welcome in the temple. Why? Because the temple or the church was the house of God. And its owner, God, was holy, meaning he was flawless. He is morally perfect. And so imperfect people with a defect, you can't come near God's holy house. Leviticus says, no descendant of Aaron, it just means an Israelite, who has a what? Defect may approach the altar to present special gifts to the Lord. So understand, in ancient Israel, people looked down on those who were different, who were defective, who were less than in some way. It was like they're unfit to serve God. I mean, maybe they qualify for pity or charity of some kind, but they certainly couldn't ever enter a church or join God's family, let alone serve the Lord. Enter Jesus. If you put your finger in Leviticus and you fast forward 3,000 years to the New Testament, a carpenter from Nazareth appears on the scene, and he's not wearing a top hat and a tuxedo. He's wearing sandals and a simple robe, and his message was nothing short of revolutionary. Because the message of Jesus was, because broken humanity can't ascend to this perfect holy God in heaven, God in the flesh is coming down to earth to embrace hurting humanity, to embrace the broken, to actually call out their buried beauty and tell them that they have sacred worth and actually invite them to join the family of God. Luke 5 says this about Jesus. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with what? What's the word, church? Leprosy. You guys know what that is? Highly contagious skin disease, okay? Think of like foot and mouth disease, only fatal. Leprosy uh, ate away the nerve endings like in your extremities, your fingers, your nose. And, and lepers were actually, it was against the law for them to come out in public. In fact, if you were a leper, the law required you to wrap your face in bandages, your hands, your feet, so that people wouldn't be exposed to your rotting flesh. And if a leper did have to venture out, he or she was required by law to yell, unclean, unclean, so that people would literally run away from you, keep their distance. In Bible times, they actually created leper colonies outside of the towns where lepers would live alone in isolation waiting to die. But the Bible says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along covered with leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he begged Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can fix me. Jesus, I believe you can heal me. You can, you can cleanse me. And guys, I want you to imagine this moment. I mean, imagine the, the crowd's part. 
You know, unclean, it's a leper. Mothers, you know, grab their kids. Back away. What's Jesus going to do? All eyes are riveted on the holiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. How, what will he do? Will Jesus curse the misfit? Will he turn his back and walk away? In verse 13 it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Don't you love Jesus? I mean, as God's beloved son, he is the perfect representation of the Father's heart in heaven. And what is God's heart to the diseased, the deformed, those who are rejected or shunned? Jesus draws close. He doesn't just show pity or, or charity. He touches the man with the contagious disease. And instead of the leprosy infecting Jesus, Jesus' holiness infects the leper and heals him, restores him as one who bears the image of God, as a person with this buried beauty and this sacred worth in God's eyes. I mean, is it any wonder that those who follow Jesus, those who joined his circus, were the blind, the lame, the broken, the crippled? See, if you're not a follower of Christ or you're kind of new to church or you're just checking, kicking the tires of Christianity, here's the beautiful thing about following Jesus. It's not the religious people who are drawn to him. Tax collectors, lepers, prostitutes, the scum of society were drawn to Jesus because there was something about his courageous love and his compassion, his fierce compassion. His, his holiness didn't drive them away. It drew them in with him like a magnet. And friends, isn't that how the church of Jesus is supposed to be? You know, in some ways, the church is God's circus of misfits. The one place in the world where Christ's followers actually see beyond the surface of somebody's different, wipe away the dirt and the grime of their limitation, and see their buried beauty as a son or daughter made in the image of God. There's a great scene in the movie where P.T. Barnum kind of calls his first disciples, or basically the, the people he hand-chooses for his circus family. And I think this clip we're about to watch is a picture of how the heart of Jesus, who is the greatest showman of all, invites misfits like you and me to join his kingdom. Let's watch this clip. You must be Gertrude Stratton. I'm looking for your son. I don't have a son. The hospital record says you do. Charles, right? Age 22? Charles! Charles! P.T. Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, they're laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier, no, a general, riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and, and, and the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world, and when they see him, they won't laugh. They'll salute.
How's it looking, girls? Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. I, who's doing this thing? It's you, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Extraordinary. Unique. I would even say beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. They don't understand, but they will. And they lined up. A menagerie of misfits. The Irish giant, the world's heaviest man, dog-faced boy, acrobats who were <gasps> African-American. That's what Barnum Circus looked like at first, and it was not popular. People actually spit on his freaks of nature. But beyond his profiteering, I believe Barnum actually had the eyes of Christ. He actually was a Christian. He handed out tracts before, uh, before his, uh, his circus at times. Did you hear what he said when he looked at the bearded lady for the first time? He said, you are extraordinary, unique, dare I say, beautiful. What was it like for Annie Jordan to hear the word beautiful for the first time? I mean, she'd been called a lot of things in life. Beautiful was never one of them. Guys, that is the heart of your Savior, Jesus. He, he sees beyond the surface and calls out the beauty and the sacred worth of every person as a child of God uniquely made in his image. And you see this all through the Gospels. When Jesus calls his first 12 disciples that ragtag bunch of 12 misfits, he didn't go to the temple to recruit them. He, he didn't go to the palace. He didn't go to the gathering places of the respectable people, not Jesus. The, the, where does the sinless son of God in the flesh go first? He goes down to the fishing docks. He's like, I pick you, Pete, Jimmy, John. Come on, follow me. Don't you read the message Bible? It's, he, 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 picks, he picks stinky, smelly fishermen who can't even read. Luke 5 says after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. You understand what a tax collector was? It was a Jewish trader who extorted unfair taxes, went door to door to his neighbors, and shook them down on behalf of Rome. This was a moral outcast. This was a traitor. The tax collectors were notorious for their greed and dishonesty. They took kickbacks. So understand, it wasn't just physical misfits, Jesus called. Jesus made space in his family for moral misfits too. And this was deeply disturbing to church people. Verse 29 says this, then Levi, so here's a tax collector, he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He's like, let's have a party, this is awesome. And a large, he invited his friends, who were they? A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But watch, get ready for the church people, religious people. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, their little religious club, complained to his disciples. They like looked at the, they're like, what? Jesus, what? what? What are you doing? Why do you eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus was like, oh, simple answer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I didn't travel all this way from heaven to earth to call the righteous, but who? Sinners to repentance. Aren't you glad Jesus has a heart for misfits? For moral misfits? Or as the Bible calls them, sinners? Yeah, give God a praise. That's his heart. You're, you're clapping for yourself. <laughs> when I say sinners... <laughs> Start with me. I mean, can I ask, is that how you see yourself? More than that, is that how you see the church, the purpose of the church? Because I got news for you if you're new to church. The church isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, amen? We're Jesus' circus. We are this holy collection of misfits and broken parts who are being healed and made whole by God's amazing grace. I mean, what is grace? We sing amazing grace. Grace is God's radical love and acceptance of the broken and needy when we don't deserve it and least expect it. Jesus says, that's, that's who I came to call, not the righteous, sinners to repentance. He's like, I didn't travel all this way from heaven to start a religious club. No, I want you to run away with me and join my circus. Come experience the love and acceptance and the embrace that you have been looking for your whole life. Why? What did Jesus, like, what did he see in those people? Well, Jesus saw underneath the surface, beyond the weird beard or the, their strange stature or different color of skin, he saw the beauty of their heart and, and the potential of what they could be, how their uniqueness might be used by God to accomplish great things. He saw them as children of God who were, dare I say, glorious. That's exactly what P.T. Barnum saw in his performers. He brought them together and taught them to share their unique talents and gifts in such a way that, that maybe it would change how people saw them, but more importantly, he hoped it would change how the performers saw themselves, that they weren't freaks, but they were actually people of sacred worth, valuable to God. Now, that's not how everybody saw them. In fact, in the movie, there's two groups of people who oppose the circus performers. One is a group of thugs who are always holding up signs, we don't want freaks in our town, go home. There's the thugs, these small-minded, uneducated people. But then you also have the high society intellectuals who also oppose the circus. I mean, you guys know this, high society and educated people often struggle with bigotry and racism just like anybody else. They just hide it more carefully, right? They talk about it in more sophisticated terms. I want to show you a clip where Philip uh, P.T. Barnum's associate, played by Zac Efron. I know, sort of looks like me, I know. The, uh, <laughs> he, he, he takes Anne to the theater. Anne is a trapeze artist, but what problem? She's African-American. She's light-skinned, but she's black. And Philip's falling in love with her. And he's taking her to the theater on a date in the 1800s when his high-society mother and father see him. And it's a painful encounter with racist rejection. Philip, is that you? Mother? Father? This is Anne Wheeler. Philip, have you no shame? 
Associating yourself with that Barnum business is one thing. But parading around with the help. Ann. 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 How dare you speak to her like that? You forget your place, Philip. My place? Mother, if this is my place, and I don't want any part of it. It's amazing how cruel human beings can be to each other. It starts when we're small, right? We begin to notice and point out differences. And we set ourselves apart from her or above him. Which, of course, setting yourself above someone, only one person has the right to do that. God. And, and he's up here, guess what? Because God is up here, a holy God's up here. From his perspective, we're all freaks. We're, we're all different. We're all broken. The way the Bible says is, all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why he sent Jesus to die in our place, to take our shame and say, I accept you in your brokenness and I'm going to put your life back together. But we don't extend that same grace to each other, do we? Instead, we often use our words to ostracize or reject or make people feel bad about themselves and in a twisted way make ourselves feel better. That's the sin nature in all of us. But what P.T. Barnum did was, it was revolutionary. Like Jesus, he didn't treat his friend as oddballs or less than. Rather, he saw every one of them as made in God's image and worthy of love and respect, valuable in the sight of God, with a unique beauty all their own. And I think that's a picture of God's kingdom. I really do. The, the kingdom of God is, is a place where people in the world who have been made to feel ugly and ashamed or rejected by the world are welcomed and accepted with open arms. And, and as they receive that love, their flaws are remade, their sins are forgiven, and they get a new label. Beloved. Beautiful. And can I tell you, that is life-changing. I mean, the effect on the circus family was transformational. Think about this. The people who had been harassed and humiliated their whole life found a home in Barnum's Circus. As you know, the movie is a musical, and so the actors sing and dance kind of like a Broadway show. And there's this one scene where Hugh Jackman, who plays Barnum, he sings to the menagerie of misfits, and, and he says to them, he says, I, I see it in your eyes. You believe that lie, that you need to hide your face afraid to step outside. So you lock the door, but, but don't you stay that way. Come alive. Come alive. Light your light and, and let it burn so bright. And when I, I heard those lyrics, you know, light your light, let it burn so bright, I, I thought of Jesus' words to his disciples, that ragmuffin band of misfits. He said to them, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. See, the people who follow Jesus, as they began to see themselves as God saw them, beautiful, beloved, forgiven, image bearers, it began to change their whole world. Because they realized, if Jesus, the Son of God, loves and accepts me completely, then I am worthy to be loved and seen by others. And so they come out of hiding. In the movie, they actually began to let their light shine. The freedom and joy kind of come out, and they say, you know what? I may look different, but I'm a child of God. I have sacred worth. For better or worse, this is me. 
Are you ready to sing it? I want to show you the climactic scene where Barnum's circus family finds their voice and their worth and they come out of hiding. Feel free to sing along. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us For we are glorious When the sharpest words wanna cut me down I'm gonna send the blood, gonna drown them out I am brave, I am bruised I am who I'm meant to be This is me Look out, cause here I come I love that celebration moment. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Live with it, people, right? I love it. The, the, the circus, it becomes this like joyous celebration. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. It's this party where all these people who once rejected discover their love and their worth and the acceptance of their Father in heaven, which just frees them from the shame and the shackles of what others think. It emboldens them to be seen and celebrated. You heard what Annie's saying. I'm not scared to be seen anymore. I make no apologies. This is me. I won't let them break me down to dust. I know there's a place for us, for we are, what's the word, church? Glorious. So many times when we meet someone who is different in some way, or they're broken, or, or maybe they've messed up their life morally, we only see the brokenness. We, we don't see God's hidden glory buried underneath. I mean, let's make this personal tomorrow morning, Monday. Some of you are going to get on a train and go into the city, and you're going to walk through Penn Station. You're going to be like, there's that guy, the homeless guy who's always there. And I used to give him money, but he just spends on alcohol. He's strung out. And you're just going to step over him and walk. You understand? 
from God's perspective, he looks at that homeless man and says, glorious. That's my son. And he's a wreck right now, but he's a glorious wreck. Or the senior citizen with dementia. Maybe you have someone in your life who, who, who they're being robbed now of their memory. They can almost not remember the names of people they love or feed themselves. And we say, well, you know, they're kind of on their... From God's perspective, glorious. Or a young man struggling with alcohol addiction. Yeah, it's, a, it's really hard. Glorious. A, a child with special needs who can't even speak. Glorious in God's sight. We tend to see the brokenness, but Jesus Christ says, behold... I'm making all things new, and in heaven there's an eternal glory waiting to be unveiled. So here's my question for us as a church. Is this how we see others? Is that how you treat others in our, in our church, in our daily lives? Like Jesus, do, you, do we reach out to those on the margins, extend hospitality to people who are on the fringe, and embrace them like family? Because that's the vision of Jesus for his church. So I want to close with three things that you can do to put this into practice, to be more like Jesus. And these are really encouraging because I, I was looking around our church this week and my heart just was thrilled to see this stuff happening spontaneously. The first is to remember that Jesus started at the margins. When he called people to follow him, Jesus did not start in the temple. He started on the fringe with the lepers, with the tax collectors, the Pharisees, the sinners, the sick. He said, I'm going to give you my time, my care, my attention, my heart, which let's just admit is pretty counterintuitive. I mean, if I were starting a church, right, I'd go find some religious people, <laughs> right? Like people who are like into church and like holy rollers sort of thing. But Jesus didn't build his church from the mainstream out, but from the margins in, amen? So do you have eyes for those on the margins? More. Do you invite them into this church family? I saw a beautiful example of this last Sunday. This is kind of cool. There's a woman who was uh, serving on our security team. And after the service last week, she went out to the parking lot and kind of most of the cars were cleared out. But she saw there was one parked in the very, very way back of the parking lot. And after everybody had cleared out, she walked over and she saw that there was a man sleeping in the car. And so she kind of knocked on the window and, and he woke up, rolled it down and said, you know, what's, what's going on? He'd been sleeping there for a couple nights. And she said, why? And it turns out he had been kicked out of his house by his family. There was a relationship breakdown and he had nowhere to go. And so he works around here and he said, you know, I came to the, I thought the church and I just park in the back and won't bother anybody. And so she did what I hope security leaders would do at every campus of Liquid. She invited him into this house, gave him something to eat. And then our, our spiritual care team who was going home for the they just like went into action. Uh, they, they called local shelters to try to help get him a bed for the night. Now, again, this was long after the service was over. They're like hugging him, putting hands on him, praying over him, and he just started bawling because he was so touched that strangers would take the time to care for him personally. And our security leader, I love her, she took out her earpiece and she said, come here, and gave him this long bear hug, you know? And guys, it struck me, that was his first encounter with this church. And it may have been his first encounter with Jesus. It didn't take place in the service, it took place in the margins in the parking lot. I hope that's how we are at every campus. Because sometimes I wonder, I'm like, I wonder if that was Jesus in disguise, like, you know, testing us. <laughs> Hebrews 13, look what it says. It says, don't forget, don't forget to show hospitality to people who are just like you. 
No, to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have what? Entertained angels without realizing it. So keep your eyes open this week at work, at school, in your neighborhood, for those who are hurting and overlooked. Because if you want to love them like Jesus, he started at the margins and then he embraced the overlooked, the people who were invisible. He invited the lonely into his inner circle. Second quick story. So last Sunday after the service, um, I met a group of women who were here visiting together. They actually have a small group, an affinity group, so they have something in common. I was like, what do you have in common? All four were widows. All four had lost their husbands recently. It was diverse, very young to more mature. And they came to liquid together in their small group. And I think as only the Holy Spirit can arrange, one of our staff were talking with another widow who was healing from her grief because there's extraordinary pain and, and, and loneliness that happens during the grieving process. And the small group came over and said to her, they said, hey, we're going out to brunch. We go to brunch as widows just to, just to encourage and help heal each other's hearts. Do you want to come to brunch with us? And it was this most beautiful thing that just happened spontaneously, organically. They invited her, open-armed, into community. This is a picture that they put on Instagram. Hashtag not by yourself. You understand that's more than a hashtag. It's a heart for others. It sees people who maybe are invisible or who are left out and invites them in. James 1 says, religion, true religion, that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, like no mixed motives, it's this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Guys, that's the heart of our church. That's what we're training our high schoolers to do. This week, a team of 50 high schoolers flew to the Dominican Republic and said, we're going to take vacation and we're going to go do orphan care with handfuls of hope. And, and can I just tell you, I was looking at the pictures on Facebook this week of our, our high school students. My heart just swole up, man. <laughs> I was like, here are teenagers from New Jersey who, let's be honest, compared to the rest of the developing world, they got some power and influence. And they said, we're going to spend part of our summer just going out and loving on orphans in the Dominican Republic. I was like, that is a beautiful picture of the kingdom. The next generation crossing these socioeconomic lines and laughing and playing with those who have no father or mother and say, you could be my brother or sister. Guys, that's the heartbeat of Liquid Church. We are teaching the next generation to love the global poor and the underserved. Amen? Give them a praise. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Not just to love and welcome them, but to celebrate their unique beauty. You know, P.T. Barnum was once asked by a critic, he said, you know, all this fun and games, what's the point of your show? You know what Barnum said? He said, uh, nobody is like anybody else, and every single one of us is special in some way. That's the point of my show, and that's the truth. In this church, we celebrate those who are different, who might not fit the typical mold, because we believe that's when the love of Jesus Christ shines most brilliantly, amen? I want to close by telling you about a special boy named Ethan who attends our Somerset campus. Uh, Ethan just turned seven years old. Um, he's been diagnosed with autism and verbal apraxia, which means he has a hard time. He doesn't really have an ability to speak or verbalize. And that makes things hard socially, as you can imagine. Friends at school are hard to come by. But Ethan's parents want to throw a seventh birthday party for their son, and they invited his school friends. But there's just one problem. No one wanted to go. One kid RSVP'd. And so they, they called a couple of our leaders' church and said, you know, we're actually going to cancel the party. But I, I'm so proud of our leaders. It's spontaneous. Some of our special needs volunteers said, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not acceptable. 
That, that boy needs, we're going to do something about it because that boy deserves to be celebrated. And so something happened last week that I just, well, I'll let Ethan's dad, I'll, I'll, he put this on Facebook, so I'm like, I guess it's free to share. He said, so I don't normally do the long-winded stuff on Facebook, but I just had to say something and let the world know what church really is. It's truly unbelievable. Can the love of Jesus be any more evident here? Let me be brief. Ethan was supposed to have a party on his birthday, and sadly, only one person RSVP, so we had to cancel. Wait for it. A few days later, we heard that our church will be having a party for Ethan. I want to show you a picture. Basically, some of our groups got together and bought dozens of presents, had over 20 people. We got a cake and everything singing to him. He had the, the time of his life. His dad wrote, we are so blessed to be part of this amazing family. He literally had bags and bags of gifts. Look at that smile. He posted a video. It's amazing. Thanks to the entire team, all the volunteers that love the kids with special needs, that allow us to have a night out once a month, and of course, his buddy Gabby for always taking care of our boy. May God return what you have sown and shown. Hashtag very overwhelmed, truly blessed, liquid Somerset. Is that cool? That is, that's the kind of church we want. That's what we want. It's not part of the plan. It's just the Holy Spirit. When the love of God hits your heart, the love of God flows out of you. And you make room for others. I want to be part of a church that throws spontaneous birthday parties for kids like Ethan. That's my dream. <laughs> part, are you with me? That's what we want to be. That's a church at its best. Part of Jesus' vision for his church, you know what he called it? He said it's going to be a beloved community. And it's going to celebrate the unique beauty of, of those that maybe the world overlooks with physical, emotional, intellectual disabilities or limitations, and this place becomes the one place in the world where they are completely loved, accepted, embraced, befriended, and celebrated because they are glorious and have sacred worth in God's eyes. So look at your life. Let's bring this home. I want to make this personal. Close with this. Does your life reflect Jesus' kingdom values? I mean, think about your circle of friends. Do they all just look like you? <laughs> or do you make room for others who don't? Do you intentionally reach out to the margins? Do you embrace and welcome the overlooked? Do you see their beauty and potential? Not as they are right now, but as they one day will be in God's eyes and celebrate their unique gifts. Because that's how Jesus saw his circus, guys. Guys, if, if this is true, then do you know what the church is? <laughs> it's God's circus. At Liquid, we are God's six-ring circus, right? Essex, Union, Somerset, Middlesex. And this auditorium in Morris, right? I look up at this, and it's like it's just one big tent. And you know what that means? Guess what? You're not the audience. <laughs> we're the act. <laughs> Guys, in God's circus, we're the misfits who are loved and forgiven by Jesus Christ, created to do good works and let our light shine before men. Amen? All those people in Barnum Circus found a family where they belong. They walked in there like, you know what, man? I fit here. These people love me. And if you're new to our church, I hope that's how you'll feel. We're, we're not the perfect church, but we're the perfect place for imperfect people like me. <laughs> and don't never forget, from God's perspective, we're all oddballs. The Bible says we're broken and sinful. We fall short of the glory of who God created us to be. And so the truth is we can't exist in the presence of a holy, perfect God, but here's the hope. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. Right. To take our shame and die on the cross in our place 
out of love. Jesus died to forgive, restore, and transform us from the inside out. If you ever wondered, do I matter to God? Jesus is living proof you matter to God. Each of you are precious to your Father in heaven. And as we pursue his Son, and we love others like him, we are changed more and more into his image. Amen? I think that's what makes the church and what God does through us the greatest show on earth. And Jesus is the greatest showman of all. Amen? Let's give God a praise for his generosity and his mercy. Let's pray together. Bow your head, would you? Father, we just thank you that you would accept misfits like us into your family. God, I think of myself. I think of um, just how fall. I, I, I fall so short in so many areas of my life, God. I don't live up to my own expectations, let alone yours sometimes. And so I just thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus dying in our place on the cross, cleansing us from the inside out, seeing the beauty, calling out the worth and value, and calling us sons and daughters of God. I thank you for the church. I thank you that it is the perfect place for imperfect people. And I thank you for what your spirit's doing, the way it's flowing in those parties to Ethan, the man sleeping in his car. Lord, do more and more a tidal wave of mercy and compassion and love across New Jersey. You know, as we're praying and our heads are bowed, maybe you're here today and you're like, could that be true? I could just, it's that easy? I could join God's family by simply accepting the love of Christ? Yeah, it's that true and that simple. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If you can't point to a moment in your life where you invited Jesus Christ to forgive your sins so that you could be adopted into the family of God, I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer right now. Let's pray this with our, our eyes closed. And you can pray these words out loud. I'll just pray them and then you pray them out loud after me. You can say, Father, Father, I want to be part of your family. Today I come to you in faith. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for being raised to life. I ask you to forgive my sins. I turn from them now and receive your love. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. I join your movement of love, of compassion. Live your life through me that I might be called a child of God, that I might be called a child of God. Father God, I thank you for those who are praying with sincerity of heart. Would you now, Holy Spirit, connect the love of the Father right now. Flood their heart with the love of Jesus Christ. Let them know they have entered the family of God and nothing can snatch them out of your hand. We thank you for salvation and your mercy and love. We ask all glory to go to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen. amen.